Welcome. Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you guys today. Uh, thanks so much for being here, especially for those of you who, uh, you know, maybe you've never been to church or you've, you haven't been to church in a long time. Church, as we know, is a messy place full of messy people. But uh, here at Kesed, we have a big God who seems to just enjoy working with that material. So, uh, so you're, I hope you feel right at home. We are in a teaching series right now called Oaks from Ashes. And we're talking about this idea that has existed a long time before uh, we started talking about it here at, at church, at least in this, in this way, uh, about spiritual practices, also known as spiritual disciplines, about things that uh, through Scripture have for thousands of years uh, taught Christians how to engage with God in a way more than just listening to a sermon or worshiping with a song or, or even seeing the sunset or, or, or something that connects us to you know, the larger creator, but in a practical way. That's what spiritual disciplines and applying those spiritual practices is supposed to be doing for our lives. So we're taking a different one every single week. Uh, and and we're, we're not just learning about them, we're applying them. So the first one we did was meditation, which was this idea of it's a little different than prayer. It's about kind of sitting in a space where you just sit before God and, and listen to God listen is how I heard it described recently. And you just are kind of not filling the space with all your to-dos and all the things that you think uh, would be good for you to accomplish that day. And, and at least for me, in my mind, it has been really hard. Um, I'd like to tell you, like, I've just really fallen in love with meditation. But the truth is, it is the hardest two or three minutes of my day because I, I want to be efficient and effective, and I want to I I do something for God. And it's hard sometimes to just be with him. But I know a lot of you are continuing to try it. And if you want to go back and learn about it, it's, uh, I think, week two of this talk. Uh, last week, we talked about mourning. And about, uh, about being honest, about kind of feeling our, our whole feelings when it comes to specifically maybe father wounds or, or parent wounds or caretaker wounds and how God loves to step into that space. Uh, it also could involve something completely different in our lives, but that mourning is not to be avoided, but to be embraced. And today we're going to talk about something called guidance. Uh, guidance is, is a little bit different than prayer as well. And yes, by the way, we'll have a week on prayer for all of you who are like, he just keeps telling us things that are different than prayer. We'll have a week on prayer. But, but guidance is about actually going before God and seeking something actionable, something that you can grab hold of, something that you can uh, manage, something that you can be like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go or not supposed to go. And there's a lot of really powerful principles in the Bible about guidance and how it's supposed to work. But there's two primary themes, so that's what we're going to talk on today. Two primary guidance kind of themes that are thoroughfares through Scripture. And the first one is corporate guidance, or what we're doing right now, kind of coming together as a group before God, seeking his will for our lives together. And the second one is individual guidance, which is you, yourself, going before God and asking him or spending time with him around the things he wants you to do or not do or go or not go. We're going to start with corporate guidance because that's uh, the one that I think we talk about the least. When you think of corporate or spiritual guidance, the first thing I want you to do is try not to think of it in an organizational sense, in some sort of uh, flow chart and, and structure in which God only operates in a certain way, but more in an organic and functional sense. We know, based on Scripture, that God leads us corporately through Scripture. We know that he leads us corporately through reason, through circumstances, and through promptings in the Spirit. So, for instance, when uh, we as a church were at Clark College, and we rented this church for a baptism, and at the end of the baptism, one of the elders from this church came to us and said, would you be interested in entering a process of receiving this church free and clear? 
My individual spirit was like, yes, where do I sign? But my, my pastoral experience taught that it would take more than me to, to put the money into this building and even, and even move to this part of town. It would take corporately an entire church willing to participate in an undertaking like that. So we brought it back to you as the church. And we, we, we had Tom come on stage, and he explained what it would cost and what it would look like. And then we prayed about it. And then we all agreed to do it. And then we all agreed to raise the funds to make it happen. That was a great example of how corporate guidance is supposed to work. There's no question that God works that way. That he often likes to engage uh, people corporately. For instance, when the Israelites were following God out into the desert, we originally think of Moses, right? Like God showed up to Moses. There's this burning bush. They had this individual experience. And then Moses went, stood before Pharaoh, and told all the people to follow him. But the reality is that, that what needed to happen was a little more extensive than that. Moses came and said all the people should follow him. Pharaoh said no, and then God brought plagues. And plagues was his corporate guidance upon Egypt so that the people of Israel knew to follow the words of Moses. Multiple plagues, like, like a whole season of plagues to where everybody was like, I think when this Moses guy says to go, we should probably go. But now they go out into the desert and they're wandering in the desert. Now you would think that they would just follow Moses, but this is a corporate experience, a spiritually uh, uh, corporate experience. And so listen to how the following shifts once they're out in the desert, Exodus 13. Verse 21, and the Lord went by them, before them, this is the entire nation of Israel, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God led the children of Israel out of bondage as a people. He wasn't just follow Moses and, and wherever he goes, he goes. Or, or why not even better, you know, just follow Moses to the next burning bush. Just like burning bush to burning bush to burning bush to burning bush. Because if it's all about Moses' individual guidance and then him, you know, standing on stage pastoring people out in the desert to follow him then that's what would have happened. But instead, the people are already looking for the power of God. They saw him in the plagues and, and the freeing of their bondage. And once they get into the desert, they see him night and day because he is having a, a community, corporate, spiritual relationship with them as a people. Richard Foster notes, everyone saw the cloud and fiery pillar. They were not a gathering of individuals who happened to be going in the same direction. They were a people under the guidance of of God, a people learning to follow his presence wherever it led. Corporate experiences are important because they, they, they allow us as a group to move in unity to where God is calling us. But they can be difficult because we like to be individuals and we like to hear for, from God ourselves. We're going to talk about that. But often we hear from God ourselves, but it's just for us and it's not for the whole group. God likes to lead the whole group. God likes to be the one who, who showers his guidance upon the whole group. And he often doesn't use individuals because individuals can't handle that kind of attention and focus. And so he speaks to everyone. There was one individual who could handle that focus, and that person was known as Jesus. And he was a great example of sort of a living, burning bush. Only Christ, once he arrived could, could uh, handle that kind of focus, an entire group of people following him perfectly as God willed. And you can watch him 
with quiet persistence, showing anyone who would listen what it meant to live in response, not just to him and his words, but to the voice of the Father. Jesus is constantly pointing people to the voice of the Father, and he's doing it in groups of 4,000 and 5,000 and 50 and 100. He's not just like, follow me only, and then when I'm gone, well, you know, good luck. He's connecting whole groups of people to the voice of the Father, and he's preparing them for the soon-to-be-delivered Holy Spirit that will continue to lead God's people communally through corporate guidance. When you look at Jesus from that angle, his own guidance is as definite and as immediate as the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is why he alone is known as Emmanuel, God with us. This is why it's really important as a church that we be careful who we brand as our leaders, who we put our trust in, who we put our hope in, especially any sort of eternal or spiritual salvation. All leaders should be evaluated. All leaders should be judged. All leaders should be questioned. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is get to a place where we can hear as a community God's voice together. Jesus teaches that. He teaches us. He teaches us that we can hear the heaven-sent voice, and most clearly, we can hear it when we are willing to seek it all together. And he pushes us to that. We do a lot of talk about prayer closets and going out and spending time with God and finding out what God's speaking to you, and we're going to talk about that. But Jesus also teaches sometimes you need to do it together. Matthew 18, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, this is this idea that that we're not supposed to just like get three people together and ask for a house, right? We're not supposed to just get four or five people together and be like, God, it'd be really cool if you could just retire us all early. This is about going before God with things that are being prompted in our hearts by God and going together with other believers to sense the unity in others that this is a true thing and not just something that I'm making up for my own well-being. In those words, Richard Foster says, the, the words Jesus just spoke about three coming together. In those words, Jesus gave his disciples both assurance and authority. He says there was the assurance that when a people genuinely gathered in his name, his will could be discerned. When they genuinely came forward to ask God about what it was they, they, were, they were experiencing, that you could hear from God how it is you are to move forward. It, he says the superintending spirit would utilize the checks and balances of the different believers to ensure that when their hearts were in unity, they were in a rhythm with the heartbeat of the Father, assured that they had heard the voice of the true shepherd, they were able to pray and act with authority. In other words, I'll put it on the screen, God's will plus their unity equals authority. It's the unity that you're after because unity is unbelievably difficult to, to, to foster. And so it's coming together going, I have experienced something from God. He's laid on my heart. Someone else goes, okay, I have some experiences with God. And you, this person says, I have some experiences. And then we go before God as a group. And if there is unity among the group that, yes, I'm feeling from God, we should do that. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Then suddenly you have authority in the name of God to go and, and step out and try to accomplish that. 
That's why it's so important in this church that we continue to embrace tension. It's, it is a core element of Kesed. It has become a core element to be okay to sit in a conversation with somebody who believes different than you because I'm here to tell you, even if you believe radically different than me and I come to you with something God is, is wanting uh, me or the church or you to accomplish and you have unity and the other person has unity and the other person has unity, we all still leave with our disagreements, by the way. Like if I told some of you what you believe about some of this stuff in this book, you would not be sitting by people you're sitting by right now, I guarantee it. We're not all on the same page. We're just not. But what seems to be happening at Kesed is that we're okay that God is prompting us to still come and worship and learn and serve and help and support. Those are all things that we have unity within. And so guess what the county is saying? What is happening there? Have you seen the kind of people that go there? There's people of all sorts of backgrounds. There's people with all sorts of experiences. There's people who never knew God and showed up two weeks ago already helping and serving. And there's people who've known God for 40 years who should never be going to a church with a pastor who doesn't wear a suit, let alone has a lot of ink. What is happening at Kesed? Why does my grandma love this so much? (laughs) Grandmas love me, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. That's right. grandmas, Grandmas love me. Grandpas, I don't know all the time, but grandmas definitely love me. My point is, it's the unity amongst all the different kind of people that go here that people can't get past. They're like, what is happening? That is the spirit corporately leading. That is the spirit moving in people's lives. The disagreements still happen. Some of the worldviews still happen. But together as we sing and worship and pray and help and serve and give and lead, all of a sudden the heartbeat of God begins to take off within the church because Jesus is being glorified and bringing more and more healing and hope to those he loves. Still today, this is important. It's critical. If we're going to be the church body that God has called us to be, we are supposed to be a community of people that can come and find unity-filled guidance. Amen? Amen. Did I offend a bunch of grandpas in the room right now? I'm sorry about that. I, I didn't mean to. But uh, we can talk afterwards if you want to. Okay, let's talk about individual guidance. Individual guidance. When it comes to our own individual guidance, another way to approach it would be to look at it from the perspective of inquiring. When God was choosing, for instance, the first very king of Israel, uh, it, it was kind of a cumbersome system because God wanted to be the one who led the people uh, you know, nationally. He wanted to be the one that guided them. He wanted to be their only king. But as the people looked around at all the other kingdoms, they saw everybody else had a king, and they wanted a king for themselves. And so they went to God, and they said, we want a king. And so God said, well, I don't think you do because kings are men, and, and men will fail you, and they'll lead you in poor direction. And they're like, no, we thank you, God, for your guidance, but we refuse to follow it. Give us a king. And so God's like, okay. And so he knew what they had in mind, and so he provided for them a king. And the day came to anoint this king, and this king's name was Saul. And right before Saul was anointed, he was a young man. It said that he looked kingly. They described this as him being incredibly tall. As a matter of fact, it said no one in the entire nation of Israel even reached his shoulder. He was what they imagined as a king, powerful and and big and accomplishing and a leader. And so the day came for them to anoint their king. And it was almost like, like God let them know this person that you chose isn't quite what we thought it was. Because it says that they lost him. That they lost this person. 
that they, they couldn't find him when it came time to present him to the people. And so what did they do? They went before God with guidance. And this is a great story of sometimes recognizing that even the silly stuff in your life, even when you make mistakes and you maybe shouldn't have brought this king situation upon yourself, you can still go to God with guidance even about your failures. And so it says that some of them went before God and asked where their lost king was. 1 Samuel 10, 21, but when they sought him, Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired, there's the word again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there and made him king. It's a great start to your ruling, if anything. I think it's a really interesting passage. First off, I think it's an honest, just beautiful picture of God and how God's willing to, to, to humble himself. We think of Jesus as, as humble, right, as, as lowly and gentle, but I don't know often if we think of the Old Testament God as gentle and lowly, and yet this, literally the creator of the universe, the one who spoke life and light and oceans and land into existence was like, oh, here comes some people looking for guidance. Um, He's in the baggage. <laughs> it's just a really interesting perspective about God's willingness to, to meet us where we are, even if where we are isn't the place he wanted us to be. How about uh, a few years later uh, when King David, who was a man after God's own heart, a man who was unique in Scripture for, for being willing to discern God's will. It says that he is out campaigning. And he is out removing the enemies of God from his land. And then it says that some enemies got behind his uh, raiders and got into his village. And it says that they took all of the women and children, every single one of them, captive and ran away. Now, David is a warrior. David is anointed, David understands the will of God, and David is built for a situation like this to provide the answers and get the glory that he deserves. But David is different, and David decides that in spite of this, he is still going to inquire of the Lord. And it says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? How, how does David not know that, of course, God wants that? He, I think he does know. But I think he's a man that even when he knows deep down in his heart that God wants him to do something, he has still gotten to a habit of inquiring. Sometimes there are things laid before you and I that we're built to do. We feel it. We sense it. We're like, I'm built for this. I'm made for this. Clearly, this is God's will. This is a wonderful example of going before God anyways of inquiring before God anyways, of being a representation of, 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 of you know, Christ and his movement on this planet means that sometimes you have to make sure people know it's God that gets the glory, not just you who was built by God for such an occasion. And so David does, shall I overtake them? And God answers him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue there are many, many, many stories of people who rescued and God got the glory and rescued and God got the glory and rescued and God got the glory, did all these beautiful things God built them to do. And then all of a sudden a situ came, situation came that looked like they should rescue and they didn't seek the will of God and they went to rescue and were captured. All because, and then you know what they do a lot of times too, because I meet with a few of them. I've been this person. They blame God. They're like, well, I did it the last five times and it was perfect. How did this situation become like this? Did you inquire of God? Did you seek God's will? No, I just based it on my experience. But the Bible doesn't teach for you to live your life based on your experience. 
It teaches you to go before God and receive guidance, even if the thing he's asking you to do is easy for you. Even if the thing before me is easy. We, we've talked a lot about in this church about uh, being thoughtful about how Kessid grows. Okay, that's a nice way to say it. Being thoughtful about how Kessid grows. Uh, I, don't, I don't prefer that Kessid grows much larger than it is right now. I, I, have, I have past experience that shows me that I, through leadership, have the ability to grow things without God's blessing. And that means that anything that grows for me triggers me. It's just where I'm at. It's just me being human with you. If you're bothered by that, you can join the grandpas and we can talk afterwards. But but I'm aware of this. So I have people in my life that recognize growth is easy for me. Okay, I've already, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've experienced church at this size and much larger. And I'm at a point now where what I want is corporate, beautiful, communal, Holy Spirit given uh, uh, ministry. And I want to be an individual who hears from God even when it's easy for me. So if God grows it to 10,000 or he keeps it here or he shrieks it down to 50, I want to be okay with whatever it is he wants to do. And I'm here to tell you just because I can doesn't mean I shouldn't. And that's important, and that comes from this this wounding and this beautiful healing that God has brought in my life. I don't know what your particular thing is that you can do really easy that you just haven't really been asking God about, and you've just been taking the fact it's working as his blessing. I'm just going to encourage you to reevaluate that. That's part of the beauty of, of being an individual and being able to sit with God outside the movement and the momentum. Inquiring or seeking the Lord's guidance is, as an individual should be a regular part of any Christ follower's story, no matter how strong you are at this particular moment, or weak, or silly the request. Maybe you're hiding in the baggage, and God's asking you to step up. Or maybe you should be hiding in the baggage because people are trying to make you king. It's not necessarily the baggage fault or the throne's fault. It's about following the Spirit and His prompting where He wants you when. Now, there's something else that I think is really beautiful about individual guidance we need to recognize. Something that uh, is really illustrated well uh, within the book that the last two verses are written in, and that book is, of course, Samuel. Samuel's story is unique in that uh, among the prophets, it was his mother who actually first inquired of the Lord even before he was conceived. Samuel's mother, Hannah, was barren. And so every year, as they would make their trek, their sojourn to the temple where God was at, she would, she would uh, ask God for, for that to be remedied. This is her prayer. And she bowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head." This is a very personal and individual prompting she's receiving from God. She just didn't come up with this idea to like, to like make a deal with the Lord. Like the Lord is setting up something inside his people and inside his temple for the next generation. Because the existing priests, almost all of them within the system right now were corrupt. And so God is bringing up a new priest that would be raised by him. And so this woman is following her prompting. To, 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 to give a child, right, to the temple of God so that it can become the prophet and the priest that it needs. This passage is powerful. And this passage is, is really, um, 
it really caused me to start asking bigger questions about God and some of the promptings that he's laid on my own heart that I've been like, that seems silly. Why would I offer that to you, God? Or why would I keep that from you, God? There's so many people who are blessed by this or that or whatever. And I think sometimes when you get to be in a space where you can have an individual relationship with God, it doesn't matter how silly it is. It doesn't matter how drastic. If you feel it and you know it, you should obey it. So that's what she does. So she has a child. And then she dedicates her son to God, to the priesthood, once he was weaned, which makes, means he was very little when she gave him to these priests. 1 Samuel 1, 27, 28 is her conversation with God as she hands over the child. Listen very clearly to uh, the human inside the incredible uh, spiritual movement that's happening here. She says, for this child I prayed, which is true. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, which is true. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. I think earlier you said you would give him to the Lord. And then she says, as long as he lives, she repeats it, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So she left him. She fulfilled her vow, but she was fully human in it. Like the mom came out in her prayer, right? Where she's like, God, I will give you this child. I can feel the prompting that you want to do something different with me and and with this, this barren womb of mine. And so if I have a child, God, if you give me a child, I will give him to you. And then there's a child and she's like, "Uh, I think I might want to keep it. And then she weans the child, and then she has to go multiple days to get to the temple. Think about campfire after campfire after campfire, evening after evening, looking at your child thinking, I'm only going to drop you off and not see you for a year. I'm going to give you to these priests that, that most of which you're going to be replacing because they're corrupt. Like, God, this seems like a big ask, and I can't really turn off the mom in me, so I'm going to fall through with my vow, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. And I'm going to let you know, God, here he is. And you can borrow him. But if you don't take care of him, you best believe mama's coming back. I think sometimes when we follow God's guidance, we get this human side of us that starts to stir into it. And then we either don't follow God's guidance because we don't feel like we can be honest with him. Like, I can't give it. I just don't have the ability to detach this child from my mother's heart. I can't do it. So we don't give it at all and we break our vow. I think also sometimes we need to step in like she did and give the child, but also be honest with God about what it feels like inside. And, and sometimes we just need to be honest that we're giving God our gifts, we're giving God our, our time, we're giving God our money, but just be honest, when you first start out, sometimes it feels like you're just lending. And sometimes that's okay because God is able to meet you in that individual human place like he was able to meet Hannah and this little boy that was left. Just a tiny side note from there, Scripture wants us to all know that Hannah went on to have five more children with her husband. And yet every single year she sojourned to the temple where God was at and the little boy that she gave to him. A few things I don't want us to miss. First, Hannah inquires of the Lord at the temple. This is the place of God. Then she dedicates the boy to the Lord where he then lives at the temple, known as the place of God. It is in stressed at the end of the passage that he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there as a little boy at the temple known as the place of God. This is important for our guidance. This should reframe how we come before God individually. Remember, this passage in the Old Testament is far before Pentecost, far before the Spirit of God fell on us as individuals and we could have our own intimate relationship with him. Instead, to 
inquire of the Lord at this time to receive guidance meant you had to go to the temple, the place where God was. You had to go and dwell where God dwelled to experience his presence and his guidance. But you don't have to do that anymore because the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit has been willing to rest upon all of us and been willing to guide us all individually. The story goes on that Samuel remained in the temple dwelling with God, living with God, being raised by God. It says that each year his mother would bring him a new little robe. I want you to imagine it. Like you go to the temple and the priests come out and they receive your offering and they look shiny and they look great authority and they look like they've trained years for this in order to be the person you're going to give your offering to. And then comes out a snot-nosed four-year-old in a brand new robe. And you're like, Who, who's that? And the priest would have been like, I don't know, it's, it's God's kid. I don't know. It was given to God like a year ago. We've just been putting up with him. It's a really cool picture of how I think how God wants to individually lead a lot of us. There are multiple systems inside the church world, the religious world, and the spiritual world. And sometimes we think we have to go about it that way. But I'm just here to tell you, some of you, you're just little snot-nosed priests with little tiny new robes. And God wants to make a showing of his faith and of his spirit and of his movement individually in you if you will just dwell where he's at. But you've got to decide to not be afraid, to have what Scripture calls a childlike faith. This child would have known God unlike maybe anyone else before him. He was raised inside the holiest place on the earth. Remember, the Spirit of God hadn't come yet, so it resided in the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies inside the temple that he ran around and played with as a playground. It says that year after year, this child grew both in stature and favor with the Lord until one faithful night this happened. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. Eli was the head priest. Then it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Listen to this line. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. He's sleeping next to the ark of the covenant. I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's allowed. Like there's tons of passages of people dying. For, there's a passage where the ark is being carried by someone and they trip and fall. And someone has the audacity that's not a priest to reach out and, and make sure the ark doesn't fall. And they're struck dead instantly. And now we have a four-year-old making a hammock between the poles. <laughs> like fully like God and me, me and God. Like everybody else is like, what is happening? But it's this individual connection that this boy is going to grow up with that changes his life. It's a beautiful picture of what we still have, by the way, today. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it reemphasizes what I told you earlier about you and the Spirit of God, that you get to be a place that God dwells. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You and I still get to sleep, if you will, with the ark of the Lord's presence, the same presence that was rare in those days, is available right now. If you will recognize that he is dwelling within you, to dwell with God is to place yourself in a posture to not only inquire like Hannah did individually, but also to receive guidance from God when you have that place and to wait upon the Lord in a way that he may himself come and inquire of you. 
It's not always, guidance isn't always about you just going to see what God wants. Sometimes it's just dwelling in his presence, calling out the truth of his spirit, and then being willing to say, hey, God, if you have anything you want to say to me, feel free to say it. This is how Samuel lived, sleeping beneath the ark of the Lord. And that's when this incredible thing happened. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 4. Then the Lord called to Samuel, who was sleeping by the ark. And Samuel replied, here I am. Let's give him an, uh, an, age, of, um, let's give him an age of seven. Okay? Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again to Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am. For you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. How many parents are relating right now to this entire story? Right? Yeah, if your child comes, though, and is like, I think the Lord's talking, you should pay attention. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Watch what happens. Watch verse 7. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He didn't see God as anything other than the place that he lived and the place that he dwelled. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you definitely called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Listen, Samuel, go lie down again. And if you hear a voice, if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel has to look at him and he goes, speak, Lord. And I think I would think Samuel would say back, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Okay. So Samuel went and laid down in this place. And then look at verse 10. This is how you know that God meets you exactly where you are as you are. Verse 10 doesn't just say a voice came. It says, and the Lord came and stood. So suddenly the presence of God is in the room. We know the presence of God on earth is who? We've got Jesus in the room with a little boy that doesn't probably understand him. Voices or even who God is, and suddenly there's a man with a gentle face sitting by him in the room next to his bed, most likely both of them by the ark, which is where God belongs, but this little boy doesn't. But they have plans, the, the triune presence of God for this little boy, and so the Lord looks at him, and he wants to communicate something to him individually, to his little heart about his little life and how God wants to use it. I don't know, by the way, so you feel free to email me. I don't know of another passage where God speaks directly to a child than this one. I can't, we were thinking about it in the past. Directly to a child specifically, not just to, to, to you know, a group of people with children, but to a child regarding something powerful. And it's important that you hear that because he says, and the Lord came and stood calling us at, at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel did what was rehearsed and said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said, listen to this scripture. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I don't think tingle is used anywhere else in the Bible. Because I don't think that the Lord speaks to a child that he is raising himself anywhere else in the Bible. And what is God going to say to a small child? I'm going to do something really powerful so everyone who hears it, their ears burn and their hearts burst. And Samuel would be like, oh my, I want nothing to do with that. And so God at seven, says to the seven-year-old, Samuel, I'm going to do something so that when they hear the words, their ears tingle. And Samuel gets it instantly. Because what little kid doesn't know what tingle means? 
What little kid doesn't like, yeah, I got it. You're going to do something to people's, their ears are going to tingle. God's like, yep, you and me. That's what we're going to do. Something really tingly upon the nation of God. This is such a beautiful individual passage. This is what dwelling with God brings specifically. That's what it brings. And Samuel took it to heart and continued to be raised. And it goes on to say, then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And over and over and over, he responded to that way in such a way that verse 19, it says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel moved with guidance in the Lord, unlike anybody had at this time. And none of what Samuel said didn't come to pass. You see, when we choose to dwell with God and so be guided by him, we get to carry some of that light yoke we talked about a few weeks ago. We get to carry his presence in our heart. We get to meet him in unity as a community, and we get to hear from him individually, custom, just for us, and how we're made with words we understand. My prayer this week is that wherever we go and whatever we speak, that it all comes from a deep dwelling place with the Lord together and individually. And that you get to know this God who has been with you through every single low, through every high, through every part of your story, who orchestrated that you're here today and has so much more with the gifts that he has given you. I want to be a church full of those people. I want to be a church that raises our children dwelling in the house of God so that they know God and can frankly teach us. Like, I think God wants to do some tingly stuff this week. That's what I think. And you and your seven-year-old go, yeah. I want to be a church that lives out these words and loves and makes a difference, but it won't happen unless we're willing to be guided by him, no matter how big, no matter how small. At the end of each week, we've been trying to give people actionable steps to go and try this. And so I heard a song about the Holy Spirit, who is the guide that, that we interact with now, uh, a few weeks ago. And I asked Chandra if she'd be willing to teach it to us. And uh, in unity, she said, yes, I believe that's exactly what we should do. And so I'm going to have the worship team come out. And here's the thing about the song that's important for you to understand. That for some, this song will become an invitation for God to dwell within you that you need to receive his presence. You need to receive this story. You need to stop fighting the, 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 the guidance that the Holy Spirit is trying to offer you. For others, this song will be a song of inquiring. Maybe you to God. God, where do you want me to go next? Or maybe in the stillness, God to you. Maybe he'll come and stand and tell you something that will make your ears tingle. We're going to have the song uh, in a link on the app and in the notes and everywhere else so you can listen to it. Maybe every day, just, just sit and listen to the song. Let it pour over you as you ask the God of all creation to guide you right where you are, how you are, with all your circumstances, whether silly, whether big, whether life-altering or, or completely casual. May we be a church that goes before the Father and is willing to seek His guidance so that we can go where he's asked us to go and be the people he's called us to be. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot of movement in the room, a lot of spiritual stuff stirring. And so I'm just gonna ask God that there would be a stillness, that any excuses would be 
removed, that any fear would be overcome, that any uh, tension, God, would be embraced, that we would ask what it would mean to seek after your guidance, after your will, that we would admit that we've been doing it on our own too long, providing our own answers to, to parts of our story we, we don't even know how they became. And so, Lord, you, the great author of our life, I pray that you would meet us where we are, whether we know how to pray or not pray, whether we sit in the silence, whether we worship and sing out or fall to our knees, that you, God, would meet us where we are, that you would guide us where we are, that you would love us as we are, that you would hold us in this space as we seek the presence of your Holy Spirit and his guidance upon our life. In Jesus' name, amen. was there at the beginning, his spirit brooding like a dove, spoke the earth into existence, formed creation that he loved. Man was born of perfect image, made to be a friend of God, meant to dwell within his presence, yet it's where we all belong. Holy Spirit, all we need is more of you. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. All we need is more of you. We want more of you. When sin has spoiled creation, the Creator sent a flood. On the cusp of new beginning, He again released the dove. And after all the searching, it found a place to land. On Christ, the perfect Son, who would redeem it all again. And looking for the branches, it landed on the vine, the one for our redemption, who would bridge eternal life, Holy Spirit, the truth, the
you, church, to stand as we sing this next part of the song. Let this be an upper room and light the flame. We burn for you. We're going to sing this together as a church family and as a body, okay? Here we go. Let this be an upper room. Light the flame. We burn for you. the helper at my side the gift was fully purchased when the lamb was crucified so now freely I can ask him for his blood has washed me clean so let the dove of heaven rest upon the Christ in me sing that again let the dove let the dove of heaven rest upon Christ in me, Holy Spirit, so Holy Spirit come and rest upon the Christ in me, Holy Spirit, the truth, the living water, all we need is more of you, we want more of you, Holy Spirit, the helper
let this be an upper room. So let this be an upper room. Sing it out. Light the flame. We burn for you. Holy, holy, holy spirit. And like a mighty rushing wind, pour your spirit out again. Holy, holy, holy spirit. Holy spirit. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus on the cross. God, that brought us the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our hearts. Father, I just want to lift up this body, this family of believers that are chasing after you. God, we know that you're already chasing us, so may we meet you in this place and in the rest of our week. Father, I pray that we would find you in places that we never knew you'd be. God, may you surprise us with the whisper of your voice speaking to us directly the way that we need to hear you. We love you. Thank you for this time, this moment that we get to come and sing songs of praise to you, God. It's an honor that we get to do this and be here. We love you. We ask for all of this and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, everyone. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming today. We love having you. It was so good seeing you. Have an awesome Sunday and we hope that we will see you guys next week, okay?